You're listening to an event from the U.S. Institute of Peace, part of the USIP Podcast Network. For more information about our work around the world, visit usip.org and check us out on social media. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our audience here at USIP and to our friends joining us online. Thank you so much for joining us on the second day which, on what has been a tremendous program on U.S. relations with Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, uh, and, and, and dealing with the legacies uh, of war. I'm really pleased to welcome everybody to USIP this morning for a discussion of the future of U.S. relations with uh, um, with Vietnam as well as Cambodia and Laos. We have a terrific panel joining us uh, on stage in, in just a moment. Um, uh, but first, um, we have a video from Ambassador Mark Knapper in Hanoi. Uh, he wasn't able to join us uh, live because he's been hosting the visit of Assistant Secretary Crittenbrink out there. There's been a ton of activity in the region lately, um, and this, uh, this tremendous program is just one way uh, in which we're seeing relations between these countries advance at a very complicated time. So um, welcome to everyone. Um, please roll the video, and then we'll get going with our terrific program this morning. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me to deliver remarks at this important event on reconciliation and peace in Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia, organized by the U.S. Institute of Peace. I am honored to have the chance to share the transformative story of the U.S.-Vietnam reconciliation journey and my vision for the future with all the esteemed guests here today who share a common interest in building peace by strengthening our trust in one another. The United States is looking forward to celebrating the 10-year anniversary of the comprehensive partnership between the United States and Vietnam next July. Since Presidents Obama and Song signed this agreement in 2013, our relationship has grown by leaps and bounds. The Biden-Harris administration has a strong desire to see the relationship elevated to a strategic partnership because when you look at our close cooperation across so many fields, strategic more accurately describes the work we are already doing together. In 1995, the leaders of the United States and Vietnam normalized bilateral relations. This was a remarkable achievement considering just 20 years earlier, we were at war. Yet today, our nations are close partners with a friendship anchored in mutual respect and trust. The journey from 1975 to today was not an easy one. Our predecessors had to set aside their differences, acknowledge their shared painful history, and confront the legacies of war, rather than let old resentments fester. How did we do this? By taking concrete and meaningful action over decades to demonstrate goodwill and to build trust. In 1989, the United States government began an assistance program for persons with disabilities which has grown exponentially over the last 30 years. In total, the United States government has provided more than $140 million in assistance for persons with disabilities. What started three decades ago as basic support for prosthetics has expanded to encompass a diverse range of assistance, from partnering to strengthen the legal and regulatory framework, to expanding health and social services for persons with disabilities. We are working hand in hand with the Ministry of National Defense to improve the quality of life of persons with significant disabilities 
in eight provinces that were heavily sprayed with Agent Orange. Working together, we have made tremendous progress in bettering people's lives. This includes the passage of the National Law on Persons with Disabilities in 2010, establishing state-of-the-art rehabilitation services in Vietnam, and promoting the adoption of universal access criteria. This last, for example, resulted in 13 airports being made accessible for persons with disabilities. These are just a few examples of the transformative gains we have achieved together. Almost 50 years after the end of the war, Vietnam still has some of the highest rates of unexploded ordnance in the world. Since 1993, the U.S. government has contributed more than $185 million to address unexploded ordnance-related activities and is the leading mine action donor in the country. In Guangxi province alone, U.S. implementing partners have removed more than 770,000 UXO items, cleared more than 250 square kilometers, educated hundreds of thousands about mine risks, and assisted thousands of UXO survivors. From 2018 to 2021, UXO-related casualties fell to zero. But unfortunately, as the three accidents that occurred this year show, there is still a lot of work to be done. And the United States is proud of our close cooperation at the national and provincial levels to develop Vietnam's expertise in clearing unexploded ordnance. We will continue to work with Vietnam so we can eventually declare Vietnam mine impact free. The U.S. government has also made a major commitment to Vietnam to remediate areas contaminated with dioxin. From 2012 to 2018, we remediated dioxin contamination at the Da Nang International Airport. And upon completion, we handed over 75 acres of clean land that is now being used for the expansion of Da Nang International Airport. This was a $110 million project that required us to pioneer new technology in thermal treatment. Building on lessons we learned from Da Nang, in 2018, we launched a project to remediate dioxin at the Bien Hoa Air Base, the primary Agent Orange storage and handling site during the U.S.-Vietnam War. This new project will be completed over a 10-year period, requiring roughly $450 million. Through these projects, we are helping to build the capacity of Vietnam to oversee the remediation of smaller sites of contamination in the future. The bedrock of U.S.-Vietnam military cooperation since the normalization of relations has been the joint effort to account for and recover the remains of 729 of the 1,973 American servicemen lost in Vietnam. Great strides have been made in accounting for U.S. war dead. However, conservative estimates indicate that there are hundreds of thousands of unaccounted for Vietnamese soldiers. This amount climbs to over one million when including civilians and other people affected by the tragedy of war. Vietnamese culture places enormous emphasis on family and ancestry. Without the closure that comes from giving proper burials to their ancestors, families who lost loved ones continue to suffer. In recognition of this fact, in 2021, another area of cooperation was added, the Vietnam Wartime Accounting Initiative, which will help Vietnam to account for their missing. This project consists of six discrete areas, ranging from building the capacity of Vietnam to analyze DNA samples, to digitizing war-related documents located in the United States, to interviewing and recording firsthand information from veterans in both countries. The strong comprehensive partnership that we share today is the result of countless actions taken over several decades, taken by dedicated individuals on both sides 
to address legacies of the past, while we also work together to address the challenges of the future. Today, our cooperation across diverse sectors is making our partnership even stronger. Together, we are building strong health systems that will be resilient against the health threats of tomorrow. Together, we are establishing strong people-to-people -people ties through exchange programs between U.S. and Vietnamese students and professionals. Together, we are building resilience to adapt to the impacts of climate change and reach our shared net zero emissions goals. And together, we are building a brighter future for the people of both countries. A close Vietnam-U.S. partnership will be vital to realizing a safe, secure, prosperous, and resilient Indo-Pacific region. The depth of our cooperation reflects an understanding that the Indo-Pacific region, which is already home to more than half of the world's people and nearly two-thirds of global economic activity, will only continue to grow in influence over the coming years. The United States and Vietnam share a common vision of a free and open Indo-Pacific with sea and skies governed by international law. Realizing this vision will require us to continue our work together into the future while engaging other like-minded countries in the region. Thank you very much. Um, I'd now like to welcome Ambassador Ving and Ambassador Jenkins to the stage. Um, please come up and join us. Ambassador Ving, come center. Just a few housekeeping notes uh, for our audience. We will be doing Q&A after both uh, panel sessions. That will be done with note cards that I hope are out there in the audience. So, and someone will be coming around to collect those and then we'll, we'll do the Q&A via those, via those note cards. So please uh, be ready um, with your questions. Um, good morning, guys. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, uh, I'm going to introduce you in turn and have you and have you make uh, and have you make remarks, um, and then we will shift to the Q and A. Um, so, my dear friend Ambassador Ving uh, is known to uh, is known to anyone that's dealt with uh, U.S. Vietnam relations for for many decades. He had a distinguished 38-year career in the Vietnamese Ministry of Foreign Affairs, rising to be uh, Deputy Foreign Minister, a post he held for a long time, and and concurrently he was the Vietnamese uh, senior official uh, for ASEAN. Uh, actually, at the time that I was the senior official for for ADMM for the ASEAN. On defense ministers meeting plus uh, you were all you were the senior official on the foreign ministry side and we had the opportunity to do a lot of great work together so it's a real privilege um, to have you to have you with us um, he uh, Ambassador Ving is now the president of the US Vietnam Society which is a non-governmental entity uh, dedicated to um, deepening US Vietnamese uh, ties and one of the things we always talked about was U.S.-Vietnam relations and also U.S.-ASEAN relations, especially with regards to your immediate neighbors. So um, welcome, Ambassador Ving, and uh, over to you to, for your remarks, which you can do seated or from the podium as you, as you prefer. Thank you very much, Vikram, for the kind words and kind introduction. And I would love to be together with Ambassador Chet Kings. She was from Vietnam very recently and also involved with war legacy issue. Mm -hmm my appreciation for all this one. Uh, certainly, I would like first to say a few words of uh, appreciation to 
USSIP for organizing this uh, dialogue on World Legacies and Peace and it was a great uh, opportunity for us to get together not only looking at the, uh, at the past, how we have been doing, but also looking towards the future and this section is very much for doing so. Uh, my, my topic will be focusing on Vietnam-US relations and the future of that uh, cooperation, including in the area of addressing oil legacies. And I think that uh, through that story, we can have experiences for other countries like Laos and Cambodia. Uh, certainly, I will be uh, focusing on three points. First, on uh, the current uh, relationship between Vietnam and the US. We have the strong foundations for our strong partnership. Second will be how the question of world legacy issue play in our uh, relationship. And certainly my vision, a third part is on uh, the future of Vietnam-US relations. Currently, Vietnam and US, we have a strong foundations for strong partnership, as I mentioned it. Uh, it has been built throughout nearly 30 years of our diplomatic relations since 1995. Uh, the relationship has been built on the guiding principles in our relationship that includes also mutual respect and, 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 and mutual benefits, uh, acknowledging so and so the respect for uh, political system of each country. And that will be, uh, continue to be a very important principle for us to work together. Uh, on the political front, I think the relationship has been strongly improved throughout the 27 years that we have diplomatic relations. And in 2013, we established a comprehensive partnership which cover all areas of cooperation, including from political to diplomatic and to economic investment and to security and defense, and certainly other fields including uh, education, uh, technology, uh, tourism or people-to-people -people exchange, which is very much an important part of our relationship. Uh, throughout the years, we have uh, uh, regular exchange of visits, including at the highest level. Uh, every uh, U.S. president has been coming to Vietnam ever since. Uh, I was honored to, uh, to assist two visits. I am by, uh, by President Obama and President Trump to Vietnam in uh, 2016 and 2017. It was very much good. Uh, let, let's talk about trade and economic cooperation. We, we have a good push for that one. Uh, back in 1994 and 1995, trade volume between the two countries was about half a, me, half a billion US dollars, but nowadays we have a uh, total value of uh, 112 billion US dollars, almost more than uh, 200 times over. And it was great, and there's still room, a lot of space for us to continue to, to enhance further. Uh, on security and defense, we have enhanced our relationship, including also in the field of uh, world legacies. Uh, Vietnam has been committed to work with the U.S. and the U.S. has been lending a helping hand to Vietnam. Uh, that was very, very much also. Uh, we have been cooperating on the issue of peace and cooperation in uh, Asia and including working with ASEAN as well 
and I think that uh, we share uh, the principle regarding maritime issues, including the South China Sea or the Eastern Sea that we call it, uh, freedom of navigation, peace and security, maritime security and international law that will be very much important. Uh, the second point is that how the world legacy issue play an important role in Vietnam-US relations. I think at the starting point, uh, nations at once at war was a, a lot of mishaps between us and uh, there need to be some efforts to heal the wounds of war. And so this was the first, first, first thing first and uh, the world legacy issue to be addressed not only to heal the wounds but more than that is to build trust and then to develop partnership between our two countries. I still remember that the veterans have been coming to Vietnam, the families of the, the soldiers of both sides have come together. They are the pressure of the relationship at the first point in time. And the Viet Vets also include a lot of politicians, the congressmen uh, in, in different areas. So healing the wounds of war is to heal the wounds for both the people involved, but also for the nations involved, the two countries of us. And we have been doing a lot. Vietnam has, at the beginning, long before we established our relationship, uh, cooperative actively and also effectively with the U.S. on the MIA issue. The U.S. also step-by-step uh, step enhanced cooperation with Vietnam in addressing the world legacy issues for Vietnam as well, including uh, clearing clearance of landmines and USO, helping to uh, clean the uh, dioxin, including the major project in Da Nang and the ongoing project in Bien Hoa, and also helping the, the people that are victims of the war as well, that Ambassador McNamper has just mentioned. So together, uh, this issue is more than just healing the wounds of war. It's a question of building trust and uh, promote understanding between our two nations and our peoples that we can get together uh, addressing uh, the past, but also, like Ambassador McNapper said, uh, looking forward to work together towards the future. Uh, third point is that I have strong belief for continued growth of the Vietnam-US relations. The next three years will be uh, important for us. We have a lot of milestones to celebrate. Next year, 2023, as Ambassador McNapper just mentioned, we will have the uh, 10th anniversary of Comprehensive Partnership. Uh, the year after next, 2024, will be 30 years of our normalization in the economic areas. And uh, 2025 certainly will be the 30th anniversary of our diplomatic relations. And I think uh, we have strong belief uh, in uh, raising further our relationship to the new height. Ambassador McNapper talked about strategic partnership. I've been writing and do a lot of interview in supporting this one also. So there, there must be a way for us to develop uh, uh, a roadmap for achieving uh, something that already in place, that is 
the strategic and comprehensive nature of the partnership between Vietnam and the U.S. And throughout this one, I think the world legacy issue continue to be part of our partnership uh, in moving further forward in, in the future. I will be stopping here and uh, thank you very much for your attention. Thank you. Thank you, Ambassador Ming. And it really is interesting as we head to these next two years. Uh, we may see a good opportunity to further elevate the, the partnership. Um, next, we have uh, Ambassador Bonnie Jenkins. Ambassador Jenkins is um, Under Secretary of State for Arms Control uh, and has you know, been a leader in the field of arms control and nonproliferation for uh, several decades now. She, I think it's safe to say, from the State Department, led and really was the heft behind all of the nuclear security summits in the Obama administration, which uh, were an effort that I think was um, somewhat prescient given what we see happening uh, today, uh, really a necessary global multilateral dialogue on, on profound security issues. Um, she was legal advisor for the Arms Control and Disarmament Agency. Uh, in between government stints, she led global health security, the Global Health Security Agenda Consortium's work on, on uh, pandemic uh, detection and mitigation. Um, you know, she's a, a thought leader across the board in national security and diplomacy. It's a real privilege to have her here. She's also a professor, been a professor at Georgetown, senior fellow at Brookings. The list goes on and on. Ambassador Jenkins, we really couldn't be more pleased. And she was just in Vietnam three weeks ago, so the timing is impeccable. Um, over to you for your role. Hey, thank you. I and think you're I'm, welcome to do it. For yeah, me. I think I'll stand up since I do have my remarks. It's a little easier to do it from here. Um, so. Good morning, it's great to see everyone here and I guess everyone who's online as well. Um, as, as, uh, as noted, I was uh, in Vietnam about three weeks ago. My first time being there, I've always wanted to go. Um, and it was a really great opportunity to, to visit, to soak up the culture, to meet the wonderful people there, and also to go to Quang Chi uh, and see the work that's being done there. A lot of work that's being funded by uh, the State Department, one of the bureaus uh, that work within, within my, my area. Um, so I have some, uh, as always, government, we have our prepared remarks. <laughs> and then, of course, we can have more of an exchange. Um, I know that time is running fast, so I'll, I'll go through this. Um, so I want to thank you for the introduction and to USIP for hosting this this morning. Uh, this is very inspirational and important topic, and one that I feel very strongly about. It is an honor to be here on this panel with Ambassador Vin and, of course, Ambassador Knapper, who was uh, on screen a little while ago. Um, who I visited in, Van, in Vietnam a few weeks ago, just before I, I traveled to Quang Chi province in central Vietnam to see the U.S. funded projects to find and remove unexplored, unexplored ordinances. So being here this morning is very timely, as, as already noted, uh, but it also underscores how incredible it is that we can all sit here as partners, colleagues, and friends. In Quang Chi, I not only saw the incredible work being done to remove explosive hazards, but also the important work of reconciliation in action, and in particular, the resilience of the, of the women demining team I had the pleasure of meeting. As the Undersecretary of State for Arms Control and International Security, I oversee the bureaus of political and military affairs, arms control, verification and compliance, and international security and nonproliferation. 
In addition to policy and programs for preventing the spread of weapons of mass destruction, our mission includes oversight of security assistance and defense trade, as well as deterring conflict and enhancing strategic stability. Since 1993, the United States has provided more than $665 million across East Asia and the Pacific to find unexploded ordinances, remove these dangerous items, and help communi communities heal and grow. This work is only possible because of the commitment of people, the people of Cambodia, Laos, and Vietnam, who conduct the dangerous work of finding and clearing landmines and unexploded ordinances. The dedication and inspiration is very contagious, and I want to thank all of them. I want to also recognize the efforts of our partners in local governments and among the NGO community. It is because of leadership at mine action authorities and cooperation among implementing partners that our programs to clear explosive remnants of war have been successful. And because of this continued coordination among stakeholders, the United States has been able to provide historical levels of funding in Cambodia, Laos, and Vietnam. Last year alone, we provided more than $67 million to address unexploded ordinances issues in these three countries. And this year, we are on track to spend more than $75 million. Our commitment is also measured in impact. We want all people in Cambodia, Laos, and Vietnam to live safely and in peace. When I was in Quang Chi province in central Vietnam a few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to sit down with some women deminers working with their implementing partners, with our implementing partners, Mines Advisory Group, Norwegian People's Aid, and Peace Trees Vietnam. These brave women took time out of their day to share their experiences with me as the miners in the field and leaders in their communities. I was in awe. One woman's comments was particularly moving. She said that her job as a deminer was her pride because while the wars in Vietnam were over, she was contributing to ending pain in her community. She and the many women working as deminers personify the goals of the UN Security Council Resolution 1325 on Women, Peace, and Security. However, we recognize that there is still a gender gap in security policy formulation and reform in many countries. Women are underrepresented at all levels in the national security decision-making process, but it was so inspiring to see the women I was talking to that day. Over the last three decades and across bipartisan lines, the United States has been trying to rectify this issue in our Congress and in political leadership and in our representation at the United Nations. Around the world, we need women meaningfully participating in decision-making at all levels to secure the prevention and resolution of conflicts. That is why I'm so proud of the work I saw in Quang Chi and throughout Southeast Asia. Clearing unexploded ordinances is foundational to our relationship because removing, un removing explosive hazards is a requirement for development. There is still much to do, but I am heartened by our progress on unexploded ordinance clearance and all war legacies issues. I would also like to mention how inspiring it is to see the progress of the U.S.-Vietnam relationship in less than 30 years of since normalization. As Ambassador Knapper mentioned, next year marks the 10th anniversary of our bilateral co co comprehensive partnership. This milestone offers a chance 
to reflect upon the many areas of shared interest between the United States and Vietnam. In particular, the United States and Vietnam are working together to promote stability and adherence to international law in the South China Sea. And we seek to push back on unlawful maritime claims in the region. We are proud that Vietnam now operates two former U.S. Coast Guard cutters, and we are excited to transfer a third to help Vietnam secure its coastline. We are also working with our partners at Harvard, USIP, and the International Commission on Missing Persons to help Vietnam find its missing soldiers, as we had heard about already. We are also expanding our relationship in the nonproliferation field. Through the U.S. Department of State's Bureau of International Security and Nonproliferation's Export Control and Border Security Program and the Department of Defense's Defense Threat Reduction Agency, we are working together to develop regulations and strengthen biological, chemical, radiological security across Vietnam's ports, border crossings, and institutions. For many years in Cambodia, communities remained impoverished because mines were scattered and left uncleared in farmlands. Access to agriculture activities were limited due to more than three decades of armed conflict. Today, in support of Cambodia's goal of becoming mine-free by 2025, the United States and Cambodia continue to cooperate to address war legacy issues, including the reduction of unexplored ordinances contamination, as well as accounting for missing U.S. service members. With United States support, Cambodia has experienced two decades of robust growth and made significant progress in advancing its sustainable development goals, including clearing millions of landmines and unexploded ordinances. In Laos, the United States has provided more than $310 million to clear and dispose of unexploded ordinances since our efforts started in 1995. Laos is severely affected by unexploded ordinances during the Indochina War, and the United States is working to make sure our unexploded ordinances support the government of Laos and its target to remove these ordinances as an obstacle to economic development by 2030. As you can see, the United States is dedicated to working with Vietnam, Cambodia, and Laos to address these war legacy issues, help heal the wounds of the past, and support communities to thrive. These are only some of our many successes in our bilateral relationships. And because of the trust we have built between our governments by addressing the legacies of war, we have opportunities in new areas in this relationship. Thank you. Thank you, Ambassador Jenkins. And I'm so glad you got to go um, out there and what you, you didn't mention to the audience that you, you actually got to uh, pull the trigger on the detonation of some unexploded ordinance, mm -hmm. which uh, is, you know, really brings it home. Yes, it does. You think in real life about what that might have, that, that piece of ordinance might have done to a child or somebody, and you see that the, the, the uh, the impact, the real life impact of, of dealing with this very, very difficult problem, which, mm -hmm. which as you've noted, takes, takes decades. And the United States um, has, over the years, continually increased its commitment to helping all three countries um, mitigate that, that risk. So then thank, you for, thank you for going and highlighting it. 
Um, and I love that you met with the, with the women demining teams, which is also great. a really wonderful story. Um, we're going to go to uh, Q&A, so if you have questions, feel free to pass them. Uh, Jenny is walking up and down and, and collecting them, and while they work on that, um, I, I will, uh, I'll take the liberty of being the moderator to ask a few questions, a few questions of my own. You know, we focused this discussion on, on all three countries. But in, in some way, the legacy of war cooperation with Vietnam has truly led to a deep partnership, including in security assistance areas, strategic concerns with the region, uh, concerns about the South China Sea, the East Sea, as the Vietnamese uh, call it, um, and stability. Um, it, it has not had that similar larger effect yet uh, with uh, Cambodia and Laos. And I thought I would turn to Ambassador Ving, who looks you know, very closely at the region. Vietnam has long viewed a partnership between these three countries as, as vital to Vietnamese national interests and security, but they also have differences uh, with both Laos and Cambodia, particularly when it comes to China, China's role in their economy um, and, and protecting against some of the potential risks there. So first Ambassador Ving and then uh, Ambassador Jenkins, if you care to reflect on, on China's role in the region a little bit um, and, and, and maybe why we've seen so much progress with Vietnam, whereas with Cambodia and Laos, U.S. Vietnam, U.S. Uh, bilateral relations uh, have had a harder time advancing. Uh, thank you, Vinkram. Uh, certainly, I can speak uh, on the experiences of Vietnam. How we would be, how we have been doing with uh, the U.S. and China and other countries in the region. Certainly, with the U.S. is. At the beginning, not everything is good yet. Uh, at the beginning, even on the question of the oil legacy issue, including the American MIAs, we have difficulties at first. How we approach the issue and how we work together and what? Uh, a lot of doubts from both sides. But I think the earnest desire to cooperate, to heal the wounds of war, consider this issue of MIA or of other issues, including landmine clearance, as a humanitarian issue. Starting from that, so the experience and the lesson here is that we start to address the war legacy issue not from a political point of view. It's more on the humanitarian side of the issue. And from that, we try to heal the wounds of war for both nations and for the people's concern. Through that, we develop a bridge of trust between our two nations. When we have trust, it's easier for us to, to work on a number of our, and expand our areas of cooperation. Uh, so, uh, on other areas of cooperation, it depends on both sides on how we can work together. Uh, there's, there is a conclusion for both of us, Vietnamese and Americans, we, when we work on the area of cooperation, we know that we have differences. But we also know there's a long list of commonalities that we can work together. So we talk about differences on how to bridge the gap, but we expand our cooperation on the list of priorities that we have common uh, interests and common point of view. So. On the issues of economy, we start to have a bilateral trade uh, agreement and we 
expand our trade relations, but at the same time, we can work together on a regional issue, uh, including trade as well. For example, we have been working together on the TPP, mm -hmm. and now we are working together on the IPEF, on the uh, Indo-Pacific Economic Framework. That, that helps us a lot. So through consultations, we know what are the differences that we must address. But at the same time, we know the commonalities that we can expand our cooperation. Point number two is that for us, Vietnam, we consider the US, China, or Japan continue to be important partners for us. Uh, each one of our bilateral relations has a merit in it. So we deepen our relations without too much eyes on China or too much eyes on, 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 on uh, Japan, for example. So uh, what we call the principal uh, foreign policy is that we uh, try to be independent, but at the same time be uh, dimensional and multilateral, try to be friends with everybody. That's true in this case. We try to be partners with the U.S., we try to be partners with uh, the Chinese, and we try to be partners with Indians and Japan and everybody. So the strong point here is that we can expand further our level of co cooperation with the Americans while we continue to work with the Chinese. Sometimes there are, there are difficult points. Uh, for example, the U.S. and China is now in rivalry or in competition. What we can do with this, this one? I think Vietnam or other countries in ASEAN, we have a policy that we will not be taking sides. But to me, it's not about not taking sides. It's, we need to act more proactively to work with everybody for peace, for stability, and for cooperation in the region, and to Im improve our bilateral relations on based on our shared interests. So we, what we try to do is not only to, not to take insights, but to work with the U.S., but not at the detriment of a third party or anyone. And I think the Indo-Pacific strategy, with that, the U.S. do not ask other countries to choose between the U.S. or China. That is a good point also that the U.S. has been approaching the region and ASEAN. And so, it depends on your national interest on how you improve uh, relationship with major powers, even when they have a competition. But to, to me, Vietnam has been doing, trying to improve and in expanding our relationship with both the U.S. and China. When we have differences, we try to talk about differences, including also on the question of Eastern Sea or South China Sea. We base ourselves on the principles and the principle has been shared by the ASEAN countries and other partners, including maritime security, peace, and uh, rule-based order over there, including the respect for international law and unclosed. That will be very much important for us. Any dispute should be uh, settled by peaceful means. That will be also very much important. So what we try to do is that, so I think uh, we can have a both good political and economic relations with China, but at the same time, we have strong foundations for our partnership with the Americans. Thank you. Well, I, I could only add just a little bit to what Ambassador Vinga said, because I think he's captured most of it. Um, 
as you heard from, from my remarks, we have relationships in terms of um, the legacy of war, very close with Vietnam, uh, continuing to strengthen with Cambodia and Laos. Um, I'm not an expert on uh, comparing the, how much we have in each, but I will say that one of my main messages when I went out to Vietnam and in, and in Southeast Asia overall was we want to strengthen our bilateral relationships. We want to find areas where we can continue to collaborate. Um, so that's why a lot of my discussions in Vietnam were not only about landmines, but were about, as we said, maritime security, aviation security, export controls, um, strategic trade. Uh, so we want to continue to, to expand the ways in which, and the avenues in which we can work bilaterally. Um, and that's the same with, uh, with other countries as well. And so it's a matter of timing and getting things to get to the right place where we can continue to expand our work uh, in addition with Cambodia and Laos, and I assume that that will happen uh, in time. Um, as far as uh, the PRC's uh, uh, presence, um, I think it's very clear that the interest in Southeast Asia, their presence in Southeast Asia, the growing impact in the region, but very similar to what Ambassador Ving has said, you know, our goal is our relationship with the countries. My focus is my relationship with Vietnam. Um, you know, in and I understand that a lot of countries in the region are in a difficult situation with, the, with China and, and the United States. Um, but our goal is not to create a situation where countries have to make a choice. It's their choice and, and we just want to make sure that we have a good relationship and we develop our, our programs and ways in which we can work together and develop trust and strengthen the partnership and that's our main focus. So. Yeah, that's great. I think I think yeah, the 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 cooperation is not about mm -hmm. generally about choosing, but about behaviors that are where there's shared concerns. So where there are decisions made by one country that are detrimental to the interests of others, and where we view it the same way, then we seek to cooperate. So for example, in the South China Sea. But um, you know, I think the United States also doesn't want to have to choose. We'd like to continue to have a constructive economic sure. partnership with China, even if we have elements of competition in that relationship. Mm -hmm. So uh, Andrew is going to uh, serve as the question uh, coordinator. So go ahead. Any excellent uh, questions from the audience, so I will try to put them together. And uh, it's around the question of a strategic partnership or a strategic roadmap, as Ambassador Ving mentioned, for U.S.-Vietnam relations. What, what will it take to reach that? What are obstacles to it that the two countries need to work together on? And what are roles for Vietnamese Americans in bringing that about? I think that's to you, Ambassador Ving. What does it take to get to a, stri a, a strategic partnership, to elevate uh, the partnership? Uh, actually, um, to me, I consider our partnership has both the uh, strategic and comprehensive element in it. Uh, we have expanded our relationship from political and diplomatic to economic investment, trade, and to security and defense issues in all areas that has been. So the question here is that, I, I think uh, during my time as ambassador here, and we have Ambassador Ted Osius and Dan Kostenbrink uh, in Hanoi, we have been discussing on this one. There are a number of ways. One, one suggestion is that we already have the substance of everything over there. Do we need to put a name on it just for, for, the, for the sake of the names only? That is one point. 
The second point is that, oh, we have reached that level, put the right name on it. That has been correct also. Uh, and another one is that, what would be the name, different names at different levels? Not actually, because uh, Japan, China, or Russia, or India, we have different names. And that can be the meaning of strategy. So my, my, my part of view is that we have reached the level of having both a comprehensive and strategic nature of our partnership. And both sides are working on further strengthening that one. That is the most important thing. Now, how to put a name on this one? I think we need to get together and to talk about it. What would be the right name? Strategic doesn't mean anything, but the full name of all this one, some, someone say, just Japan, the Japanese guys, they call, we call it uh, enhanced part, strategic partnership or something like that, uh, or strategic partnership for peace and development and cooperation. So I think uh, we need to, to talk on that one. But certainly we agree that, uh, for me personally, I agree that we have reached that level and we need to have a name for it. And what we try to do is uh, to have talks between the two sides and have uh, recommendations from all of us here convincing both sides that we need to reach some, some name for it, especially next year when we celebrate the 10th anniversary mm -hmm. of the Comprehensive Partnership. So I think that means uh, for the diaspora, send in some, uh, send in some, send in some suggestions. <laughs> we'll get them through Ambassador Ving into the formal process. But, uh, but just to add, I mean, I, I think, I think, as Ambassador was saying, however you, whatever you call it, I mean, I think having these exchanges, you know, my visit um, to Vietnam, Assistant Secretary's current visit there, the exchanges, the building of relationships, the building of programs we could do together. You know, this is how you, this is the process and we're in that process. Um, so, you know, what does it mean when we get there? I think the important thing is the process of getting there and that's what we're doing right now. So. We have about five minutes, so maybe Andrew, you can do a couple more. Yeah, another topic of questions has to do with the example of U.S.-Vietnam relations as it can apply to other countries. So on questions such as uh, international peace and security, nuclear issues, uh, regional cooperation, working with the U.N., how can the example of U.S.-Vietnam relations extend uh, to these other uh, issues in foreign policy. Ambassador Jenkins, you wanna? Um, I think it's about, um, it, you know, we always try to learn from experiences and learn from relationships and build on what, what successes and, you know, try to stay away from things that are not as successful. Uh, and I think in general, you know, having, you know, looking at the relationship that we have, you know, we're developing, because we're still developing more in terms of um, our relationship with, with Vietnam and continuing to build a trust um, and, and, uh, and, you know, the belief in what we can do together. I mean, that's how you, you use that for other situations. Of course, you have to modify it depending on which situation you are in, what multilateral engagement you're involved in. Um, but it's really just 
you know, taking that and building it and using it in other situations, but understanding there's different cultures and different ways of looking at the world. But, you know, there are some things that you can take forward. So the process of developing a stronger bilateral relationship is something that we can use in other cases where we're trying to do the same thing with other countries. You know, and I think that we are, we are having successes and we've had this relationship for many years already. So we have a template that we have to modify, obviously, to different cultures and different regions. But I think that's what we try to do in diplomacy and that's what we try to do. You don't, know, you don't always have to start from scratch. So. One, one key in policy by my, my end is about uh, UN peacekeeping. That is a, a case in point. The US has been starting a program to assist us in uh, training our uh, people in uh, participating in UN peacekeeping missions in, in Africa. And it was very much good. We're starting to send first the uh, medical uh, personnel to Africa, but nowadays we can send engineering mm -hmm. people over there. And uh, it was very much good, and the program uh, is now expanded to receive not only assistance from the U.S., but from Australia and other countries as well. I think we have a common point of view here. Vietnam wants to be part of the peacekeeping mission uh, by the U.N., and we have our request for assistance. The U.S. can have a technical assistant, the Australians can have a medical assistant and whatever way that we do. This is very much good. If I can talk more about Vietnam-U.S. relations, I think not only important is between government-to-government -government relations, but in our case between Vietnam and the U.S., people-to-people -people, mm -hmm. uh, relations are very much important. The starting point and during the time of uh, our relationship on the question of addressing the world legacy issues as well. We have a lot of people, organizations that have been participating in assisting our two countries and assisting Vietnam on that one. I have a list of names of the uh, veteran organizations and people's organizations uh, like a VVAF, VVA, VVMF, VFW, the Veteran for Peace or the Ford Foundation mm -hmm. or the Peace Tree Vietnam or okay. Renew Vietnam. All these people organizations and the veterans organization, they have been very much a helping hand for us. So uh, if that experience can apply in other countries, not only government to government relations, sometimes politically difficult, we have the people-to-people -people relations mm -hmm. that can help promote an environment that the government can e be easier to do with each other. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, just one more thing. I mean, while we were in, in Quang Chi, one of the things that came up repeatedly is how we can use that in other places, mm -hmm. you know, in Vietnam and other places. And of course, we have some of our NGOs, um, like HALO and others, um, and Peace Tree, as we talked about, but some of them are in other parts of Vietnam, but other, other parts of the world. So we're constantly looking at what's working and how we can do it other places. Well, unfortunately, we could go on, but I th we have come to time. I think it's a wonderful place to end with this idea of the foundation being people-to-people -people ties. I, I don't think any of the progress we've seen in this relationship would have happened without veterans, combatants on both sides, people who fought each other deciding they wanted 
a different future and coming together um, informally first and then building this infrastructure on which we've really based this relationship. So I think that's a wonderful place to end. I can't thank both of you enough. It's been a real pleasure. And we will now broaden out to a little wider lens on the region um, with our next speakers. Thank you both. And give a thank round you. of applause for you. Thanks, guys, for, for joining us. Um, and thank you all again for being with us. Once again, I'm Vikram Singh. Uh, this is day, day two of our project on, uh, on legacies of war and US relations with Vietnam, Cambodia, and Laos. And for our second panel this morning, I'm very pleased to welcome, welcome Phuong Vu, who is actually currently working with us here at USIP. Um, Phuong is, uh, is a, a, an expert on armed conflict, democratic peace, looks at, um, at, at how uh, combatants uh, engage in, in, in bargaining and in conflict and in peace processes. Um, she is a former, a former journalist and looks extensively uh, at U.S.-Vietnam relations and served pre previously at the U.S. Embassy in Hanoi. She'll be our, our first speaker, and then uh, Brian, and we're going to use this as an opportunity to broaden, broaden the lens. So, Fung, please go ahead with your opening remarks, and then we'll switch to Brian and have a chat. Thank you, Vikram. Uh, hi, everybody. Thank you for being here, uh, having me today, um, and I'm very... Uh, I'm very pleased and honored to uh, be here to share uh, with you some uh, honor um, and humble thoughts about uh, the, relation, the future of uh, U.S. relations with Laos, Cambodia, and Vietnam. When um, Andrew invited me to speak in this um, plenary um, about the future of uh, U.S. relations with Vietnam, Cambodia, and Laos, I had a, a, a immediate questions about what the real what the questions really is. Is it about the U.S. Um, uh, relations with? individual countries, Laos, Cambodia, and Vietnam, or the U.S. relations with uh, these three countries as a group. So uh, that question took me back to my first year at the Military uh, Science Academy. Um, uh, well, back then, I, I was uh, uh, on the campus sharing with uh, some Laos and Cambodian uh, students who uh, were uh, military officials uh, on training in Vietnam. Uh, what struck me a lot when I reflect on my time back then, uh, that uh, I didn't see them as a foreigners at all. Um, and nobody told us to um, take precautions or watch for um, uh, malice um, in their behaviors or presence. So we were so comfortable um, together. Um, and uh, when uh, years passed by, I, I learned that Vietnam is top policy and the policy has been consistently implemented, that Vietnam uh, attached its importance to develop the development of uh, friendly, traditional, and um, constructive relations with neighboring countries, and Vietnam um, attached high importance to uh, their relations with Laos and Cambodia, and, uh, take, um, and put the, the relations between um, Vietnam and Laos, Vietnam, Cambodia in contemporary politics. Uh, it even plays in even um, uh, more important roles. Um, so uh, I would like to um, 
to, to approach the, the, the questions of the futures of the US relations between Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia with the concept of perception. It's about the perceptions of relations and perceptions of uh, policy design and uh, public awareness. So uh, in, um, uh, first of all, uh, it's about the perceptions of US relations with the three countries. Um, so uh, you, you know that um, over the last um, um, sessions we uh, attended yesterday, we all know about the shared history and experience of, of Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia. Um, so I'm, I, I'm not going to take your time uh, elaborating on those points. Uh, but um, contemporarily, Vietnam has been facing um, increasing challenges um, in terms of security and um, uh, regional uh, challenges. Um, Vietnam, Laos and Vietnam and Laos and Cambodia, uh, Cambodia share uh, borders uh, that in case some um, conflicts or what happened or um, um, Laos uh, survivals or Cambodia's survival politically and economically uh, threatened, uh, Vietnam would be extremely concerned. Uh, and you know, um, the three countries, uh, as, as I have known of, they share a, a dual uh, brotherhood. Uh, so I, th I, I do believe that um, a, a, a common grand strategy for Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia um, of the United States would be necessary. It's a good approach uh, to develop um, and build um, trust uh, with uh, not only Vietnam but the other uh, brothers of Vietnam is important. You know that uh, in terms of war legacies and reconciliation, uh, we have been witnessing so many efforts um, that um, uh, both uh, Vietnamese and American governments, also um, NGOs who have worked uh, long and hard to achieve uh, what we, uh, we happily uh, seen today. Uh, however, uh, um, in, in some corners of our society, especially in Vietnam, we, uh, we heard something about transactional relationship. Because uh, so far, Vietnam, among the three countries, they, uh, they got the most attention from the United States. And uh, some people, they doubted that the United States invested so much in war legacies and reconciliation with Vietnam because uh, the United States so far needs uh, Vietnam's uh, support in enhancing and strengthening um, their, um, their presence in the Asia Pacific as well as to achieve some uh, grand roles in the region. Um, so from my point of view, I think um, war legacies, uh, reconciliation between two countries is important uh, to, uh, to, to strengthen you know, trust, mutual trust between two countries. Uh, but if you take a st step uh, back to see the brotherhood that Vietnam share with Laos and Cambodia, uh, I think uh, it's important uh, if, if the United States considers uh, to, uh, to build trust with Vietnam uh, um, from a deeper level, that the United States will build trust with Laos and Cambodia. Uh, by doing so, um, the United States will be uh, very proud to, 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 to tell the world that uh, the act of um, their, um, their investment in world legacy and reconciliation is a, a, a true act of responsibility and humanity instead of uh, some national interest that the United States is pursuing at the moment of speaking. Uh, the second point I would like to touch on is about the um, 
the perceptions of uh, policy design and public awareness. Uh, I've heard um, over the no, yesterday about um, the uh, fund allocations and uh, the uh, project implementation in the field. Um, I. Uh, it, um, I was surprised because uh, I, I was not in this field so far as many groups and people who have been working in this field for 20 or um, 10 years. Um, but um, in my communities, well, well, back in Vietnam, when I was talking to some people who work in the field, uh, they, they expressed some concern that Laos and Cambodia um, have been forgotten in world legacy efforts of the United States. Uh, however, uh, in the closing discussions, uh, what I heard about is that the United States clearly uh, have a, a good intention of invested more uh, in those countries, but the allocation and uh, the, um, um, the, uh, the implementation of those projects got some management problem or some, uh, some problem with local capacity to absorb uh, capital. Uh, so, um, but in other um, discussion, I also heard some voices from Laos and Cambodia. Um, I mean, Laos and Cambodian people, they worry and they, they are calling for more attention from the United States in terms of war legacy and reconciliation. So we, uh, we clearly can see the discrepancies between public awareness and, um, and the policy design. Uh, so what uh, I am I'm talking about at uh, this point um, and that bring me up to some policy implication for the United States uh, and, uh, and of course be, be aware that I'm, I'm suggesting some policy um, with my capacity as a research fellow, not a Vietnam consultant with the USIP. Uh, so the first one is I think um, um, US, um, the United States uh, could, um, could be uh, benefit a lot if they can develop a strategy for Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia as a group of um, who share an ideal brotherhood. Uh, that's a, a new way of uh, uh, building mutual trust and multilateral trust. Uh, the se second one is about to, um, to, give, to give Laos and Cambodia a stronger a sense of uh, relevance. Um, and uh, the third one is about mm, to address um, public awareness. Instead of us, um, okay, I think I really appreciate that we're getting in DC talking about this issue. But I think it would be um, um, even um, more promising if we can uh, do this kind of dialogues in one of those countries uh, in turn, like this year we're doing DC, next year we're doing Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia, uh, where we can have a, um, access to local voices directly and uh, we can hear from people on, on the ground who are suffering the consequences of war better. Um, and, um, to, and that's what I thought. And, uh, uh, to conclude, I think uh, the future of the U.S. relations with Laos, Vietnam, and Cambodia depends on how the United States uh, prepares for uh, sustained uh, commitments to these three countries individually, uh, as well as to this group of three countries in the long haul. Thank you, Dr. Vu. That's really, uh, really a helpful overview and helps us start thinking about the region as a whole. Turn now to Brian Eiler. Brian runs the Southeast Asia program and the Energy, Water, and Sustainability program at the Stimson Center. Um, he's uh, truly, I think, uh, in, in, in my professional life, 
talking about Mekong uh, River Basin. There's no one I know that knows more, actually, Brian. Um, spent about 15 years in the field living in China and going up and down to all the Mekong countries, uh, researching and talking to people. Um, uh, so, you know, that's one of the areas most important to multilateral cooperation and potentially multilateral conflict um, in in this region. Um, really, we're privileged to have you with us as well. And uh, Brian, over to you for some opening remarks. Thanks, Vikram. And I want to thank Andrew and Brian for the opportunity to speak here at this conference. Um, I'm going to uh, give a hopefully a quick talk so we have time for discussion and questions from all of you about common challenges, vulnerabilities, and sensitivities in mainland Southeast Asia, within Cambodia, Laos, and Vietnam, and within the broader uh, kind of global relationship and what the US can do to uh, address some of these vulnerabilities and sensitivities, um, as well as the common challenges. So to start, I want to reflect a bit on uh, Michael Schiffer's remarks yesterday, uh, Michael Schiffer from USAID, who very rightly emphasized how uh, USAID's approach to war legacies in Vietnam has become very much people-centered. Now, we remember through Ambassador Vin's remarks um, how it started out as a people-centered effort, right? It was civil society groups here in the United States joining with civil society groups in Vietnam um, to kick off the war legacies effort. Uh, but then national governments got involved uh, and a top-down approach, kind of, it, this, we started from a top-down approach with this. But over the last decade plus, it has become more and more people-centered, particularly now with the focus on victims' assistance and disabilities' assistance to the people who have, who experienced the war and are still experiencing the war, uh, that we're now able to fully address that situation of the individual and address needs on the ground um, through real action. And, and it's that action um, and the progress that's been achieved uh, through war legacies that really has formed the cornerstone of the U.S.-Vietnam relationship. And it's created so many spillover effects, positive spillover effects for the two countries um, that we've learned about uh, today and, and yesterday, and, and we, we all enjoy um, those positive spillover effects. Um, specifically, I can think for Vietnam, some of the positive spillover effects is good governance. Um, war legacies engagement has improved governance in Vietnam. Uh, I'm often, when I'm speaking with uh, people about war legacies action in Vietnam, you hear about how provincial level authorities are doing this or that, or civil society groups are acting with provincial level authorities and the national um, uh, uh, authorities in Vietnam to achieve impact. Around the world, we struggle with national-local relations, right? Uh, this is kind of a global governance issue. But the war legacies uh, uh, issue area is one that has strengthened national-local governance in Vietnam. And some of that's done through regulatory improvements. So this particular area has also created a regulatory effect that's very positive and endogenous in Vietnam. Um, civil society. Uh, this issue area has demonstrated how domestic civil society can be involved in, in addressing a very important issue, um, given the needs that are on the ground and given the capabilities that are on the ground, and identify pathways to build capacity within civil society groups in Vietnam to address these issues. And that's done through U.S. engagement, but also through coming back to how this got started, civil society engagement in an international scope. 
So these are some of the, the positive spillover effects that, that war legacies engagement can achieve in other countries too. So now we're going to pivot to Cambodia and Laos. And, and think coming back to the, the China issue, coming back to the um, US knowing that these two countries are very important for engagement in ASEAN, but struggling to think about ways to engage positively there and to meet needs as they are being articulated in Laos and Cambodia. There's, there's, a, there's a struggle. Um, at the same time, China's rise, and I will argue it's, it's PRC overreach, um, and this is a term that's, that I think we're going to be hearing a lot more about uh, in the coming weeks and months. Uh, Professor Susan Shirk at UC San Diego is publishing a book about PRC and Xi Jinping's overreach and the intended and unintended consequences of PRC action in the maritime space with the Belt and Road and international organizations and how we're, we're all struggling to deal with that overreach. I cannot think of two other countries in the world that are dealing with the vulnerabilities of PRC overreach than Laos and Cambodia right now. And they're struggling um, with the governance challenges that that poses. Um, Laos is, in a, is a, in a debt crisis. Severe inflation has been on the rise um, in Laos. Um, governance challenges related to international crime and illicit crime. Um, on, on Twitter, if you follow UNODC's uh, accounts, you'll see just almost every day there are these, these um, um, possessions of meth and other, other um, uh, uh, drug cases that, that just eclipse each other each time. There's just more and more found and, 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 and brought in and it's causing societal and, and, and a lot of um, uh, societal pains in, in Laos. Um, in Cambodia, um, one, a climate exposed country, uh, one of the most climate exposed countries in the world. Cambodia has uh, said that it will not be able to graduate into middle income country status because of the climate challenge. And there are investments in infrastructure uh, that are related to the PRC and some that are not that are exacerbating climate challenges. Um, you just go to Phnom Penh and see what I'm talking about. Um, as well as what we're learning about uh, scam compounds in Cambodia and criminal um, criminality um, that again it's part of PRC's rise in, in, the, in the region for better for worse unintended consequences um, perhaps um, but these vulnerabilities are exposing the governance challenges in those two countries so where I can only imagine if, if, if I were um, a, a Lao official in the foreign ministry or a Cambodian official in the foreign ministry looking at Vietnam's success with the United States, but there are people there saying, you know, Vietnam is a champion of the discourse of not having to choose, right? Vietnam has balanced these two uh, relationships very well and benefits from them. Vietnam is vulnerable to China's rise as well, but has a toolbox and a structure to deal with that, those vulnerabilities and to reach out to friends and partners to help balance and, and, and reduce those vulnerabilities. And um, while uh, we do hear articulations from Laos and Cambodia on these vulnerabilities, I bet that, that, it's, that the conversations are happening and there's a turn and a pivot, not to the United States from Laos and Cambodia for support, but it's to Vietnam. Mm -hmm. It's to the, the brotherhood relationship between this, this triad of countries um, where there's a, 
conversation on how to adapt to vulnerabilities happening. So I just want to outline uh, three opportunities that I think the United States can can deepen engagement and reduce these vulnerabilities in these countries. One, pragmatic engagement on war legacies. It's a great place to start. And we do have programs and engagement on these issues in Laos and Cambodia. But if we can see it as a common challenge and transfer that experience of creating good governance, strengthening local and national ties, bringing in civil society actors, international to local, um, in this space, then, then the spillover effects will occur. Um, when we think about uh, what's happened recently, you know, George Black, Susan Hammond, Jackie Jagnon, and Lao marched up and down the mountains of southern Laos to document Agent Orange exposure in Laos and to take evidence to the government of Laos and to the government of the United States to demonstrate how that exposure is, is affecting lives in Laos. And now for the first time, the US government is dedicating resources after Laos has expressed, the government of Laos has expressed a need to address these resources for a study on exposure to Agent Orange in, in Laos. Um, Ambassador Keo Cheo, who we're gonna hear from very soon, when he first arrived here in Washington, gave a series of talks about war legacies engagement in Cambodia. That's a strong signal of, of, of interest and, and need um, where the United States can deepen engagement. And from that, it might take 15 years. But you know, look at where we were 15, 20 years ago with Vietnam, and look at where we are now and the deep trust and friendship that exists between our two countries and our ability to have honest conversations and to think through problem solving in a, in a toolbox approach to dealing with these vulnerabilities. The second area is on climate. And I'll just highlight two areas. So the second area is on climate. And uh, uh, my teammate, Courtney Weatherby, just served as lead author on a study on how Vietnam can meet its COP26 climate goals through stronger engagement with Laos and Cambodia. Now, that might be counterintuitive, because we often think about meeting your climate goals from a National. domestic perspective. Uh, but regionally, this can happen too. And there's a role for the United States in this as well. And part of the solution is, is taking um, Vietnam's impressive experience with expanding solar investment within its own borders um, to these countries of Cambodia and, and Laos, importing some of that power um, back into Vietnam, and that will help with COP26 commitments. Um, but importantly, uh, choosing the right investments that also pay off for Vietnam downstream in the Mekong. So we're coming back into the Mekong. So there are ways to build dams in the Mekong that have fewer impacts than poorly sited and poorly built and poorly operation, uh, operated dams. And Vietnam can take part of that solution to Cambodia and Laos to unlock this opportunity. There's a role for the United States in capacity building on how to do this, uh, because we struggle with this too, um, how to optimize the, the operation of our, our own water assets in a way um, that reduces vulnerability downstreams. And I think we're going to be dealing with these challenges in a very common way when we think about what's happening in the Colorado River Basin, and we can apply that to the, the Mekong as well with capacity building, with exchanges, et cetera. Um, and, um, and also opening, another main point of this uh, uh, report is to open lanes for foreign investment in Vietnam um, for power generation assets. And I think the United States will have a lot of opportunity there. And that can also be transferred to Cambodia and Laos as well. 
um, which we know are both wide open for foreign investment and power generation. Um, and the final point within the climate space is, and this is getting to sensitivities, is that it's not gonna get any easier in the climate space. This is an area where we can engage, but there's an urgency to work within the climate space in Southeast Asia. I noted Cambodia's uh, comment about being unable to um, graduate to middle income country status because of the climate challenge. This is a country uh, that produces uh, a good portion of the world's freshwater fish catch. Uh, the Tonle Sap Lake is responsible for 500,000 tons of fish per year, and that's connected to the Mekong River. Um, that's, that is four times as much as what North America's rivers and lakes combined, just coming out of that one lake in Cambodia. And this is a food security guarantor for that country. Wow. Now, the fishery of that lake is under threat. It's under threat by both climate and upstream dams. And what the United States has done through the Mekong-US partnership and through its Mekong Water Data Initiative is begun to demonstrate with evidence um, what the impacts of those upstream dams are to the downstream. This is evidence. It's sensitive because a lot of it is about China's um, dam operations, but we're getting used to it and we're knowing a lot more about what those dams are doing to the downstream and what, how they're impacting the Mekong Delta. Um, and moving from a, a conversation about sensitivities and controversy about upstream dams to one where data informs planning and decision-making processes that can help us reduce vulnerabilities, forecast for the future, uh, and reduce some of these food security uh, threats. So that's an example I think that we need to work on, a final example we need to wor work on to demonstrate how data and evidence can drive change. Coming back to close with war legacies, we did that with war legacies, right? We worked together to find the data, find the evidence, come up with common practices to achieve uh, these impacts. Let's work together within Cambodia, Laos, and Vietnam to deepen those impacts. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, Brian. Thank you both. Really insightful comments and a lot of ideas of how we could build on the U.S.-Vietnam experience, extend uh, to both other countries. Um, if you have questions, once again, cards have been gone around. Um, Jenny is walking around still, so if you didn't get a chance, you can go for it. We have about six or seven minutes for questions. I'm going to turn right to Andrew and uh, fire away. So yesterday at the UN, Vietnam was elected to the Human Rights Council for the next term. Uh, human rights is often thought of as an obstacle in US relations with Vietnam as well as Laos and Cambodia. Do you think there are ways this can also be an opportunity? Uh, and also among the three countries, as one question points out, the US has historically been more critical in Cambodia than in the other countries. What does that say about our relations there and lessons that we might draw for democracy and governance. Dr. Wu, human rights potentially a good uh, contribute rather than just an obstacle? Uh, yes, I think that question is a recurring uh, theme uh, and uh, whenever somebody talking about the futures of U.S.-Vietnam's relations, that's also Vietnam, uh, U.S. and Cambodia relations and human rights issues. Um, that question reminds me of uh, uh, Secretary Chuck Hagel yesterday at luncheon. I remembered him uh, saying that uh, in order to um, to move forward, we rather we, we should be focusing on what we can agree 
rather than what we disagree. Of course, human rights uh, um, advancement is something that is not going to happen overnight. Um, but uh, I, I think um, when the, uh, the international community has, um, keep um, um, watching out uh, and uh, and ob observing human rights uh, practices in uh, these countries is a is a good one. That um, that signal a strong sense of uh, scrutiny, public scrutiny uh, in these countries. And I think um, that's the one I would like to see um, in the coming years also. What do you think, Brian? Just a thought on Cambodia. You know, I think that, that the, the world is bracing for a coming watershed moment in Cambodian politics in the next few years. And, um, and, and that is one that um, the U.S. can, and it has to do with Hun Sen's uh, retirement uh, and secession. And, and that's one that the U.S. can be ready for um, with stronger engagement on civil society uh, and, and also deepening engagement on war legacies to be better positioned when that happens and to better positioned to strengthen governance and strengthen democratic structures when that happens. Or we can stick to the humanitarian, humanitarian or the human rights discourse that kind of dominates on the hill about Cambodia and do nothing until that happens. Um, and uh, so I think there are, there are good choices we can make now to lay a foundation um, for a stronger human rights future for Cambodia. Because it's very likely in the cards. Thank you. Uh, second question is about generational change. So U.S. relations with Vietnam as well as Cambodia and Laos has been led over the past decades by the uh, veterans and war generation. Uh, now many of them are retiring and there's a question about transition also uh, among U.S. leaders. Do you think the younger generation uh, in Congress and in the U.S. can continue this process and take leadership uh, on reconciliation and war legacies. And actually, Andrew, give us one more if you have it, because we only got about two minutes, guys. Uh, one more is about how Brian sees Vietnamese uh, cooperation with Cambodia and Laos on environmental and energy issues changing in the last few years. So young people in Vietnam cooperating with its neighbors on energy and environment. Um, I, I think um, to, to answer, uh, before answering these questions, I would like to really uh, um, uh, compliment and appreciate what the uh, United States DOP has been doing. Um, what they, uh, they have been doing is to inspire the young generations uh, who get involved with this one. Uh, like for the upcoming visits of Senator Leahy to Vietnam, we are, uh, the, the Institute is organizing some workshop that, that involves in with uh, many um, young people, students who are um, interested in um, devel developing and advancing the relations between Vietnam and the United States. I think that's a good one, that, that I, I would be uh, very much welcome some other institutions or uh, NGOs to engage with young people like the, what the USIP has been doing. Uh, and I, I, I truly believe that an inspired generations um, of young people will be a, um, a great helping hand in uh, keeping uh, the uh, momentum uh, moving forward. So to, to be brief, I, I think young Congress 
people, uh, young people in the United States are, uh, you know, the hot issues are climate and social justice right now. Uh, and um, the war legacies issue at heart is a social justice issue. So that is, uh, there's convergence if we can educate Americans uh, about the social justice needs that are created by war legacies issues in Cam Cambodia, Laos, and Vietnam. This was one way to carry the torch and to pass that torch on. Climate also. Um, the climate challenges to war legacies are only going to increase as stuff gets moved around, um, uh, projects are delayed uh, due to intense storms and prolonged storms, uh, and people are moved around um, into areas where they weren't living before and therefore could be more exposed to, to war legacies issues that haven't been addressed. Um, so those are two areas where, again, there's a common challenge, there's common interest that, that can be uh, focused on. Um, and Vietnam has really improved and kind of upped its, its foreign policy game with Cambodia and Laos on, um, on energy uh, and, and water security over the last uh, few years. Um, I think, though, that there's an urgency to, to create some strategic investments uh, that, that are demonstrative um, that you can invest in power generation in Laos that will not impact the Mekong Delta downstream. And I can draw on two examples of the opposite, and I won't go into the details. Um, but instead of investing in projects that do deliver impacts to the downstream, uh, and this is where the United States and other development partners can come and um, identify those particular power generation assets in those other countries you can invest in, help those countries grow, that, that don't impact your environmental outcomes downstream as well. Oh, um, we are out of time. That was a very rich discussion. I wish I could do about three or four more follow-up questions. I want to thank our audience. Please give our speakers a big round of applause. And we will be going to a 30-minute coffee break before the, before the next, uh, next event. Um, thank you all very, very much. A lot to build on here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this event. If you'd like to listen to more events or explore our other podcasts, visit usip.org forward slash podcasts. Mm -hmm.